This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. And welcome to another episode of the Jason Tales Outdoor Podcast brought to you by Wild Edge Inc. If you're new to the show, welcome to the podcast where we try to inspire you to get outdoors and chase your passions, chase your dreams. And we do that here by sharing awesome stories from all over the globe, from Africa to Canada. We got it all. No subject is is, uh, safe. And we just seek to bring the, the, the most awesome experiences we can find, the most awesome tales, chasing tales, we possibly can. So thank you for joining us. Before we get to the show today, I just want to say thanks to Wild Edge Inc., the title sponsor of the podcast. They have the most simple, effective, and efficient way to climb any tree you need to. I encourage you to go check out wildedgeinc.com and use the promo code ChasingTales. 10, that's Chasing Tales 1-0 to save $15 on any order of steps. I believe without shipping, it's like $95 for a set of eight and a bag. And I can assure you that with a little bit of practice, that will do everything you need it to and more. We've got some exciting things coming down the pipe. In fact, I've got a video camera now, and I'm working with a couple guys to put together some awesome videos for you all. So stay tuned to the YouTube channel and, and, and be plugged in so that you don't miss any of the excitement that's coming down the pipe. My, my Florida deer season is well underway, and uh, before too long, hopefully, we'll, I'll have my own stories to share with you on the show. And with that, let's get to this week's episode. Well, guys, welcome back to another exciting and riveting episode of the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. I have a special guest on the phone, someone who I have been bouncing back and forth dates. He's been insanely uh, forgiving and flexible with me here lately with my chaotic schedule. Um, thank you for being on the show. I've got Ted Bright. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, Walt. And uh, riveting. I got some expectations for that. Too, huh? <laughs> Absolutely, <dude. laughs> we set we set the bar high here on purpose. I see that, and, and it and it all rides on the guest because I'm not entertaining in the slightest. So. <laughs> well, you got you you've got a unique ability to ask the right questions and probe accordingly. All right. All right. Good job. So today we're going to be talking about a pod, uh, a topic that we haven't done a whole lot of talking about on this podcast. Um, that just has to do with scheduling. You know, I put these things, I schedule, normally speaking, I schedule all my podcasts months in advance. And the uh, saddle hunter craze that has swept the country, uh, I was not able to react quick enough, but I'm glad that the first saddle hunter uh, podcast where we're talking hunting stories is going to be you, Um there's the gist of tonight's show. We're going to be talking about uh, saddle hunting, whitetail tactics, 
um, some highs, some lows, and uh, get it from a guy that uh, has experienced enough lows to achieve great heights with his saddle hunting career. So uh, I kind of set the, the stage, Ted. If there's anything that you want to fill in there to tell the listeners about yourself, uh, feel free. No, I mean, that's that's well said. Um, just a high level about myself, I'm a 40-year-old that lives in south-central Missouri, um, you know, I, I live in the northern Ozarks, so I don't live in, uh, I'm not sure, what did you refer to it, the, the promised land the, in northern the, Missouri? The, the land of milk and honey, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah there you go. Uh, so not quite that, but, you know, we do have really good deer around the area where I live, and, you know, we do have a lot of public land in Missouri, and that's, that's always, uh, uh, you know, it's enjoyable to be able to take advantage of our public land. I'm pretty about public land hunting pretty passionate about saddle hunting pretty passionate about you know the uh the hunting beast tactics and uh, i kind of make it a little more broad than just the the beef tactics and that's you know extreme whitetail tactics you know whatever it takes to get the job done however far you need to go however deep you need to go whatever uh crazy lengths you need to go through like including crossing rivers in the dark and 20 degrees and all that good stuff. Sign me up for that because I'm all in. <laughs> well, uh, Missouri has an envious amount of public land. They also have an envious amount of conservation dollars that gets put put towards uh, a lot of that public land. In, in your neck of the woods, is the land uh, highly manicured for public hunting? I, I wouldn't say that. No, it, it's not. Um uh, not sure if it really is on some other areas, but uh, here it's just it's just not really. And I actually hunt on a lot of national forest as well. Mm. Uh, there's an abundance of Mark Twain National Forest, and really there's no management that goes into that. Um, some of the local state, uh, you know, game lands or uh, hunting areas are, you know, they'll have a, what I would consider a menial, you know, winter wheat plot with some brassicas in it, but it's not it's not like I've grown on my own property and it's certainly not like you see on TV and all this and right. that. It's pretty sparse. Um you, you know, and I and you can all I always laugh when I look at the tree stands that are on the edge of the food plots because uh, you know, the odds of seeing a mature buck in a in a public land food plot during daylight hours is about slim to none or less. And so, you know, I I typically hunt deeper in the woods anyway. Right on, right on. Yeah, it's uh, the Mark Twain National Forest. Uh, the the Drurys were on, Drurys were on um, the DoD podcast that uh, uh, Mark Kenyon and them did for a while. I don't think Mark Kenyon's associated with it anymore, but um, uh, he dropped some spoiler. I, I've actually got the the podcast still saved on my phone somewhere because he was like he all but gave out the GPS coordinates that these guys were talking about, uh, you know, having pulled big bucks from on a routine basis. And my buddy, like, took a screenshot of it. It was like, sent, and sent it to me and goes, you got to listen to this. Drury just totally threw somebody's hunting spot under the bus right there on the, on a podcast. So, we're, Missouri, I say all that to say, Missouri is definitely on uh, the list of western states to, to hit. Yeah, yeah, it is a good state, and we have a great conservation program. And you know, uh, you can you can buy your tags over the counter. Not that I'm inviting anybody to come from out of state. <laughs> <laughs> no, all kidding aside, we do. We have a great program, and uh, there's plenty of room for a lot of us. That's for sure. Sure, sure. No, no, I get that. So let's. Um, you know, we kind of talked about where you hunt. We kind of talked about. Uh, uh, briefly about how deep you you uh, you hunt in the in public land. One of the things that probably allows you to go deep is the fact that you're a saddle hunter. Um, I'm always curious as as a newly converted saddle hunter. There's always a variety of reasons and, and and ways that people get introduced to saddle hunting and get involved. Why don't you, if you would, tell us a little bit how you got exposed to saddle hunting and maybe what that journey going from probably a climber or, or lock on to saddle hunting was like and why. Sure. Uh, so that's a, and that's a great question um, because now it seems it's, it's rather easy. You know, there's just this plethora of knowledge, you know, uh, podcasts and 
Facebook pages and, you know, saddlehunter.com forum and all this and that. Well, that hasn't always been the case. Um, I actually, you know, the saddle hunter forum was around when I got into saddle hunting, but I actually got into it by word of mouth. I got into it from, um, from my, my previous, uh, uh, position at, I sold industrial oil and a customer of mine, uh, Brett Huster, who's a, a great buddy of mine. And he's one of those guys that, uh, he's a, he's a seasoned veteran saddle hunter who has had many successes, but you won't see him on the forums. You don't see him out there promoting it or anything. You know, he's a more of a keep to yourself kind of guy and he's been tremendously successful with his hunting. At any rate, he is actually who um, pretty much sealed the deal. You know, I kind of heard about it and this and that and everything. And he let me borrow his trophy line tree saddle. And I'll never forget. I went out in my yard and I'm like, how does this thing even work? Uh, I think I read a similar story about you, Walt, when you first yeah, took, took, took us almost a spill, right? But it yeah. was close enough. Yeah. Uh, so I'm out in my yard trying to figure this thing out, and I, I didn't even really figure it out. But I knew just by seeing it and understanding how the, it worked conceptually that this was the ticket. Even though I, don't, I wouldn't even consider that first climb a success, I knew uh, by talking to him and and, and some other reading that I did or whatever that, you know, it just takes effort. Get this thing figured out, right. and you're going to go to a whole new level. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, you mentioned I had my own little spill. Um, so a little bit of background. <laughs> <laughs> it was a pretty good spill. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Greg Greg was kind enough to put that out on his Facebook page too. So uh, there's, there's probably now that you've said that, no, there's no one that doesn't know. But uh, – yeah, no, I'm scared of heights. Um, I was really skeptical of the simplicity and the fact that, you know, a, a rope the less than the width of my pinky finger was, you know, holding me in the air. Um, you know, I, I'm a logical person. I, I Everything I do, people tell me all the time that I could use probably a little more emotion because uh, I'm, all, I'm, I'm that guy that when there's a crisis, I'm like, okay, well, logically speaking, this is what we should do. And, you know, there's a time and place for emotion. So, I'm the guy that can logically think through things, but my my fear of heights has, you know, petrified me. So I sold my lone wolf lock-on, my lone wolf everything, and in preparation for my saddle arriving because I knew if I didn't, I would never not use that lock-on. And I'm climbing up the tree about 15 feet up, and I'm, I'm starting to get a little little comfortable, and I'm doing a ring of steps type style with, with the wild edge steps, and I come swinging around the right side and step where there's no step and just eight bark. But the thing is, you don't move. You just kind of swing in place a little bit because you're, you're already at tension. It dings your ego more than anything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially when your wife is watching <laughs> it happen. Yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, kind of along a similar story, um, I I was always a little scared of heights when I was younger, you know. I mean, I'm talking teenage, you know, right. probably 18 years old or, you know, 16, in that age range. And I basically conquered that fear with a, a, cli- or a climber tree stand, you know. Sure, some probably. I can't tell you. Uh, actually, they were hand-welded hand rigs, hand-fabricated that my dad would make. Oh, and, I mean, they were okay. They certainly were not what you would consider you know, safe and, yeah. uh, you know, inspected <laughs> by who I don't, it was, uh, it was interesting to say the least. And I can remember, you know, I didn't even know which types of trees to climb or anything. And sycamores are about the worst because, uh, that's that real slick bark, you know, and right. man, I can remember climbing a tree, almost falling out of that thing, but it happened several times. Um, <laughs> uh, there is no more safe way to hunt than a saddle period i'm with you i'm with you i mean if anybody's doubting it you know i run the tethered system you run the tethered system if i'm not mistaken correct i uh i have an uh the new tribe arrow hunter kestrel right uh of, of which i combine with the uh the tethered predator platform gotcha gotcha and so here's my thoughts on that. I do believe that, that both New Tribe and Tethered make an outstanding product. Uh, in fact, I have uh, Carl, one of the engineers for Tethered. I have his uh, prototype Mantis from one of the originals, and I'm 
I'm using that in conjunction with my uh, Kestrel right now. Both are outstanding. Oh yeah. But that Predator platform is it takes it to a whole other level. It's uh, uh, the Predator platform <laughs> is. Did you, ha, Walt? Have you gone from a ring of steps to the Predator platform? I went from a ring of wild edge steps to the platform. Yeah. Well, what are what were your thoughts? So I'm I'm a leaner more than I'm a sitter. So for me, um, I do better with the pre- like. Okay, let me try. Let me try that again. I prefer the Predator if I'm gonna if I'm gonna be sitting all day. If I'm gonna be sitting for a long period of time, and let's say I'm going in less than a mile, the Predator absolutely is going in my backpack. If I'm going super deep, I'm probably gonna do the Ring of Steps with the Wilded Steps for for just one reason, and that is I cut out the weight. I'm already carrying. I carry a set of Wilded Steps a set of six everywhere I go just in case I need extra to get around branches and stuff. So for me, I can cut three pounds when I'm going the distance. But, dude, that Predator platform is the bee's joints. That thing is sweet. It is the cat's meow, no doubt. It is. <laughs> I I was so skeptical I like, that I like something – I what we did there. <laughs> it, uh... I was so skeptical of it, dude, because it's so small. You think for sure it's going to bend and flex, but, dude, you just you push it down, you cam it over just like a lone wolf, but with far less effort, you know, just the palm of your hand, and then you, you cam that joker over, and, dude, it's it's awesome. <laughs> so interestingly enough, I uh, you know the, the gentleman who's one of the engineers for Tethered, uh, he does a lot of their uh, custom stitching and stuff on prototypes. Him and I hunt in some of the same areas on the on the local public land here, and I did not know him from Adam until this hunting season. And I just happened to run into him at the, one of the parking lots, and he let me try this Predator flat platform. And prior to this, I was skeptical of the side pressure that this device could mm-hmm. withstand just mm-hmm. just from pictures. Yep. And uh, you know, I, I thought the Ring of Steps was the way to go, and this and that, and. He gave me a, a just a, a slight demonstration, and I didn't even really have to like see it on a tree and and get full weight on it. I could tell this thing. This is built the I, when you came that thing over, it's just solid as a rock. Right. And so that that's what uh, got me into it. And I think I ordered one um, that night or the next day, <laughs> and uh, it <laughs> it has changed. I mean, that's two of them on. Uh, you know, even as good as that thing is, it's always fun making mods to it, right? Sure, yeah. I enjoy doing that type of stuff. So I stealth wrap them all up, and um, and I added an etrier to the the base, the stem of the uh, of the Predator platform, so that I can you know put it at shore height. Right. While, you know, when I'm at my my highest point of climb, and I can get a couple extra feet that way. It, it works out really well. I mean, you've got to be a little nimble and athletic. Yep. To, you know, let the slack out of your lines as well. Loop it over the platform and kind of pull yourself up. And I do recommend you putting your knee heads on the base of the tree. To, uh, just because, uh, you know, when you get that knee up onto that platform, you're going to kind of rotate over on it. And it's really nice. I've done it both ways. And trust me. <laughs> Put your knee pads on. <laughs> I've got to get some knee pads. That's something I've tried to hold off getting thus far, and uh, may, maybe you just convinced me to do so. I, I use a a foam, uh, like a foam tree seat from Walmart that I got for like a buck. Yeah, you save up and get some Arc'teryx knee pads. The, they are the way to go. Really? Yep. Well, I will. Without a doubt, they're they're. Kind of, they're for, they're the most most form fitting athletic that I've seen. So let's do this. We've talked a lot about saddle hunting and kind of getting into the the the, the nitty gritty of it. And I wanted to pick your brain because I teased this to begin with. You've had some highs, you've had some lows. You've got an interesting way of looking at it. Um, let let's let's shift gears, and I would like to know what is your biggest what was your biggest single failure point when, you know, hunting from a saddle for, for whitetail deer in Missouri? Uh, I don't have failure points. I just don't. I have learning experiences. Right uh, on. You know, October is tough. Uh, you know, so, so this is just kind of 
if you had to put every uh, hunting experience in, into into groups, and you know, I would say, I while I don't believe in the October law, I think that you know you have to get into uh, into tight into bedding, and then you know, of course, it's a it's a shift from early October to mid October is different to late October is different, but at the end of the day, I, it's, it is tough in October and I, I've killed a, a really nice buck two years ago in October, but I would say that that is the most challenging, uh, certainly never a failure, uh, as I, every time out I'm learning something. Um, but I would have to say the biggest challenge would be hunting mature buck beds in October, particularly that middle of October. Do you have an example that particularly resonates with you, like one that sticks out in your memory? Uh, well, typically they end in no sighting. So. Oh, I see. So that's how you that's how you characterize a a, a learning experience. So, for you, uh, a low point is simply not seeing a deer. What about? Um, I, what... I wouldn't even say that. I would. Say, <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt, but I. I would say that I, I go into it with the expectation that I'm going to see a mature buck, right? Especially in that middle of October time frame, right? Or I'm not going to see anything. Well, see, and this is interesting because I, I, I'm, I'm glad you responded the way that it did because it challenges me. <laughs> because a lot of people, you know, they hem, they haw, and they talk about how they missed a big deer. Whereas with you, uh, everything is a learning experience, which is an awesome way of looking at it. I try my best to look at it similarly. So let, let's. Let's tie this back into saddle hunting. What's one mistake that you made while hunting mature deer that the saddle set up or what you did with the saddle specifically cost you that opportunity? Hmm. Uh, that's a, that's a great question. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know that I could say, you know, something specific to, uh, to a saddle has ever cost me a deer or cost me an opportunity at a deer. Um, the, I, I can only think of advantages where it has helped me to get in deeper with less effort or easier, you know, mobility. And, um, once you're in the tree, okay. All right. All right. I got the answer to your question. As I'm thinking through it, it would be the, <laughs> there's the him and the, in the hall the, and I was hoping for it. <laughs> <laughs> right, but well, you got to think, you know, you got to think through it because sure. the advantages just so far outweigh any of the challenges. Right. Uh, the only thing I can think of would be your first season of saddle hunting. Okay. And that, and that is just getting used to the tree. And I don't care how many times you practice uh, in your yard or whatever. And by the way, I probably should have done that more. But just the fact of when you're up there hunting and, and things can happen kind of quickly, especially in November, right? Um, you, you know, you, you can't really be prepared for how these scenarios are going to unfold until you get a full season under your belt mm -hmm. or under your saddle. Yeah, you know, you're talking about you know, practicing more in the backyard. I was sitting here thinking that's something that um, the way that you climb the tree with your setup, with your pack, the way you assemble all your gear to, to kind of unload off you as you climb up the tree, that's something I needed to learn a lot about. And I feel like there were at least one or two times this year where there were deer moving and I couldn't get to them because I set up the same way I would with like a climber where I, I, you know, I climbed the side of a tree uh, to face a certain way, but then would get up there and go, crap, I'm looking the wrong way. You know, I don't know if that ever happened to you, but that was something that, that the, your mentality as to how you, you climb the tree changes as well. Yeah, it definitely does. You know, you want that tree between you and you really want to shoot at that, uh, nine to 11 o'clock right. is, is I, ideal. Uh, the biggest buck I ever killed was shot at six o'clock though. Um, you know, it, it can certain, you just have a lot more, once you get a season under your belt, you have a lot more flexibility to shoot 360 degrees, but you can't expect that to happen in the first season. And I don't care how many time you practice and all this and that it takes time in the saddle. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I agree. All right. Well, since that was such a succinct thing and, and far too easy for you, uh, a man with as many successes as you have, uh, maybe this will, Maybe this will make, uh, cause pause, and 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 you'll hem and haul from the start. What is the 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 greatest success where it all came together? Tell me about the time where it all came together and the saddle made the difference for you. 
Okay, without a question. Uh, God almighty, was... I, you, you came prepared for this, dude. This is ridiculous. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, as we've talked kind of off the air sure. a little bit, uh, I am I, I'm extremely passionate about taking my kids hunting. Uh, youth hunting, is, you know, that's always been uh, a joy and a passion of mine. I, there is no better way to spend time with your kids than in the woods. Right. And this this year was my my son who is uh, he just turned 16 last week. It's his first year uh, full on saddle hunting, and <clears throat> so we were this last year. Uh, let's see here, it was first weekend in November, so it would have been the weekend before rifle season. Mm-hmm. Um, we went up to some public land, and we had never been there before. And we went out. I think we left uh, Thursday night and and camped out, you know, and then. Uh, Friday morning, we get up and we head off in the dark to, to the timber unknown, right? Never been there before. And it's like three hours away. So it's not like, you know, we kind of know the <laughs> general terrain or whatever. You know, sure. We go three hours, we have no idea where we're going. And uh, so one of my buddies was there and he kind of pointed us in the direction. And we went out that first morning and got soaked for an hour and a half in the pouring down rain and didn't see a thing. <laughs> and so, so we're, you know, we're stuck, you know, trying to dry our clothes the rest of the day, all this and that. And uh then we head out that evening it stopped raining right around lunchtime and we headed out that evening <clears throat> on public land where we'd never been and we had a general direction of which we wanted to go and we read sign and we followed you know the, the hot sign and we set up and you know he was uh let's see here probably you know six feet below me or so and we were both in saddles in the same tree and it was one of the coolest experiences that I've ever had. And we saw, saw a couple does filter into a, a little uh, clearing down below us. And I, I, then they kind of filtered off and um, there was a small buck that followed them. And then a, a nice, decent eight pointer with a really wide spread, short times, but a really wide spread walked out and he, he was following those does and I tried grunting at him and bleeding at him and he was having nothing to do with it at all. <laughs> all he, all he would do is flick his tail every time, you know, you see, he, again, you can see they're, but they're not interested. And as soon as he got out of sight, I rattled and about five minutes later, he came back and he just slowly and purposely walked all the way back, backtracked his whole way and then came up and around to us. And <clears throat> that deer, so here's your the, the point of your question is, would you have been able to do this in a tree stand? And I, I, I don't, I can't say for sure you wouldn't have been able to, but my son had the same exact shot last year where he was in a tree stand and I was in a saddle above him and it didn't work out from 15 yards. This mm-hmm. time it's funny, funny how things work, right? Uh, same exact situation except for the deer's at 20 yards and it's a lot thicker and he's in his saddle and I'm in my saddle and I'm looking behind me and at 20 yards, he just smokes this eight pointer, smoked it, uh, <laughs> double lung pat his first ever pass through. And it was, uh, you know, it was, it was a great, an awesome hunt. It was an awesome success story, but to get to the answer to your question, he, I, I've asked him about it, you know, because I'm interested in his feedback from a, as a saddle hunter, because sure. a lot of times, a, you know, a, a young man that doesn't have all these preconceptions can, articulate thing in a, in a in a refreshing way right and he said he told me it was like man it was just it's just so easy he said <laughs> whenever i try to pull my bow back in a tree stand it feels like my feet are trying to press through the bottom of the stand and and i, I have a hard time pulling my bow back and he said but in the saddle it's like your muscles are free to move and that i couldn't how, how could you say it any better than that right yeah my muscles are free to move and so anyway, that's exactly what he did. He, and he double lunged it. His first ever pass through, uh, the deer ran about 75 yards and I actually got some great GoPro footage, uh, oh, not only of him, him tracking, but me falling on my butt, slipping down this slippery <laughs> slope, <'cause it> was, <laughs> those muddy Oakleys yeah. and walking up on the buck and him harvesting his first ever, uh, buck with a bow. It was, it was an outstanding experience. Man, that's awesome. That's, you know, I'm not ready for kids right now, but <laughs> I hear stories like that and I go, 
you know, that's going to be cool one day to have those kind of, you know, experiences. You know, I, I, I look forward to that. That's, that's awesome, man. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, you kind of, it's like a vicarious thing, you know, you, you see them do it and you watch them go through it and everything. And it's, it's, it's <laughs> even more uh, meaningful than it sure. is to do it yourself. Sure. No, I, I could get that. So you're, you're of the opinion that the saddle made the difference in that, but it sounds, it sounds like that's the case just from the comfort, from the sheer um, ability to remain comfortable in that, in that situation and draw back. Yeah, definitely. The deer was at his 11 o'clock, which is ideal for a saddle mm -hmm. and in a tree stand in that tight of a window. Um, I guess you could say maybe he would have had the tree stand on the other side, but no, I don't, I don't think that would have been the case. Um, it's, it's never a, a complete like for like scenario, sure. but all I know is that you're, you, you know, you're going to be, have more favorable odds for a better shot in a saddle. 99.9 times out of 100. Yeah, and, and I just want to note for everybody who's listening, uh, when, when he says, you know, that, that 9 to 11 is the easy shot, that's only if you're if you're right-handed. If you're left-handed for me, just flop, flip it on the clock, and you're looking at something from like 3 to three to 5, 2 to 5, and that somewhere in that range is, is the easy. Uh, the easy if three if three to 1. 3 to 1, that's right, yeah. Um, but then again, it's also easy to get the other shots, and I think that's something else that I've learned is, you know, everybody, you know, there's multiple different ways of doing this. You can swing back and forth around the tree, but then I like just literally pivoting in place. Like I just, I trust so that bridge that's, that's holding you to the tree isn't, um, isn't, uh, fixed. It slides back and forth over a carabiner. So you can just spin right in place. Your, your profile doesn't change at all. You just spin in place draw back and you, and you have the shot. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite interesting. Yeah. The first, uh, the first big mature buck that I killed him, which is my biggest buck. I killed him at six o'clock with one foot on a ring of steps and the other leg dangling. Like you see in the, uh, you know, the saddle hunter, uh, mm -hmm. profile mm -hmm. picture, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. The emblem. Yeah. That was really cool. <laughs> so, so I've got one question and then I'm, I want to chase that story of your biggest buck. But when you were when you were grunting and that deer was coming in, did that not feel like agony to you? Did it just feel like time was taking forever to go by? It did. He was taking <laughs> his sweet time. Oh my goodness! It took an eternity. An eternity. Oh, was was the wind ever a concern while he was coming, or was he clear out of the wind? Uh, we had a, we had a good wind. Okay. We had okay. A good wind, so it was never a concern. Yeah. I, I had a, I had a, a spike that darn near got shot this weekend. Um, he was the rules in Florida in this area, in this deer management is you have to have a main beam of at least five inches, which is not hard to accomplish, uh, or two points on one side. And, uh, I had a good buck come in and, and he caught my, my scent and I had another spike come up the exact same trail, nose up to the wind, but he was chasing some does. And I was like, you know, let me just see what happens. Let's see if, if I make him aware that there's something over here if he checks that wind. You know, learning experience. So I hit the grunt tube, and that joker came downwind of me the entire time. Downwind of me the entire time. And I was just chuckling to myself, thinking a mature deer would never have done this. But he came close the distance from maybe 80 to 100 yards out. And was sitting there broadside at 20 yards. And I'm sitting there just thinking, I'm, I'm looking at him through the binos thinking, God, is that five inches? I think that's five. In ah, and, and in all truth, he's probably like four and a quarter, but he was an inch away from death and he had no idea. <laughs> right, right. But you're, you're spot on correct. Those, those big bucks might make a mistake every once in a while. Yeah. But if you're banking on that mistake, you're going to go bank. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let, let's let's shift real quick to what you were talking about just a minute ago, and that is uh, your, your biggest deer. Um, he made a mistake. Were you banking on it? What what was the story behind that? Well, that one was November the eighteenth, and uh, so you know he was sure. he was on does, sure, and, and that's what exactly what I was hunting. You know, I was hunting uh, deep in in actually I was kind of hunting a an area between uh, two doe bedding areas that has a geographical feature that really chokes the movement down and uh, let's so it was november the 18th it was the second weekend of rifle season here in missouri 
this was in 2017 so you know like 13 months ago <laughs> and um my son and i worked we were together uh it was uh you know we were on archery only land and we mountain biked in and we camped out and uh you know all of the extreme tactics that 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 we prefer and so i had to get up at you know 4 4 30 in the morning or whatever and uh you know strip down and cross the river uh my son did not he hunted in his own stand that day but <laughs> he didn't join I, you for that trek across the river he has many times but oh okay yeah. okay uh you know something he sometimes he just doesn't feel like it at four o'clock in the morning right? sure <laughs> so you know being he was i guess 14 at the time so uh almost 15 at any rate uh you know i crossed the river and i i went the uh you know i i put in the tedious effort to go way out of the way to s circle around the way i knew the deer would be coming and sure enough they came you know relatively early morning it was about 7 50 i think and they came in and actually I, I saw a spike running off he looked like he was to death you know if i could see any ghost and it was so obvious you know what i mean yeah when you see that you know it <laughs> and then and then two does came funneling in and well i know what's about to happen uh but it, it still happens so quick sometimes and sure enough it did and uh he came over uh came right by trailing those does at probably 25, 30 yards. Um, but it happened, you know, they were, they were cruising through pretty good right. at that point. And it was, and it was right at my three o'clock where, you know, they, they came across there from over my right shoulder to in, kind of in front of me to their, to my right. And I, I again, I, uh, I grunted, I bleated and every time he would flick his tail and then I, I snort wheezed and he stopped and looked back, flicked his tail and then walked again and mm. and then I could see them kind of speed up, you know, because they were getting ready to go up this, um, a pretty big hill, you know, that sure. they were going to be gone. You know? So here he is. I, I recognize that this would be the biggest buck I've ever had an opportunity at. And he came into my life and out of my life in a matter of seconds. <laughs> oh, and man. yeah, yeah. So I'm like last ditch effort. All I can do is rattle, rattle the antlers, you know? Right. And, uh, so, and, I was hoping that this was the buck that I had seen a year ago in a very close, you know, a couple hundred yards from this. And I actually, I didn't have a buck tag because I had killed a buck October and I didn't get another buck tag until rifle season. And so I rattled this buck in three times in a 40 minute period. And he was a huge eight pointer in 2017. So I was hoping it was that buck. This was going through my mind that I was right. going to clang the, clang the horns together and he was going to come. And wouldn't you know it, when I clanged those horns together, uh, I could barely get them set back on my pack by the time he was in and right on top of me. And he was, I mean, he was right below me. You know, I could hear him breathing heavy, not as heavy as the deer this year, but that's a different story. Uh, but he's right there at my 3 o'clock at 10 yards. And I, you know, I'm like, I, I can't do anything. He freeze and I'm still, I'm hooked onto my bow, but I'm, I'm prepared to shoot to the left, you know, sure. Cause I had barely got my antlers, rattling antlers up and I see him and I, I can tell that he's so charged up that even though he's that close, I unclipped my, for my release and I took my grunt tube and I blew it to my nine o'clock. And as soon as I did that, he went right after it. He didn't look up nothing. He went right after it. And I, so I, I, you know, dropped my grunt tube, which was around my neck. So I literally dropped it, but anyway, clip on and as, and I start to turn. And as soon as this guy goes behind uh, a really big tree, like, oh my gosh, a three foot in diameter tree, probably. <laughs> I swing around and come to full draw in one fluid motion. And as soon as he steps out, I do the drop shot, which hit him on uh, my side of the spine and exited through the, like the base of the front leg almost. And, uh, he tore out and I'm like, Oh man, that was great. It was a perfect shot. You know, yeah. And I, I cl climbed down and I, I see my, well, before I did that, I, I used my binoculars and I always do this. This is a great tip. Uh, I use my binoculars to find my arrow and I could see that I got a pass through, which, you know, that's, that's all it's important to know. Right. And so, after getting that pass through and I know that it's going to be low in the body cavity. So I'm going to be good blood. Right. Well, I get down 
and there's nothing but guts or so I thought, you know, ended up as cud. Uh, you know, I must have severed the esophagus and pushed the cud that we, he was chewing through the esophagus and there wasn't, wasn't really any blood. So I'm like, all right, I got to take it easy and be conservative here. I'm going to walk all the way around this area, uh, go meet my son, have lunch and camp and all this and that and take our time getting back. And about halfway back to camp, I look over and 200 yards away, I see a slight gray patch. And I spend <laughs> basically an hour of walking 10 yards at a time and looking at my binoculars to see if there's his chest is raising at all, you know, and right. uh, was, was able to decipher that he was dead. And that's, uh, yeah, checked him out real quick, went and got my son and we, uh, we dragged him out. Golly, man, that's, was that your biggest deer? Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, not that I care. But I did put the tape on him because, uh, you know, I knew he was my biggest deer, of course. And it, it was 164 inches. God. That's a but, big day. You know, deer. again, that's just a number. The number means yeah, nothing. Yeah, sure, sure. Com- you know, relative to the, uh, the memory of going on that type of a hunt with my son. And, you know, of course, it was, you know, out of it, it was my first mature buck out of the saddle. Uh, there's so many more memorable things other than the score itself. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I've i got some – I did the same thing to my buck. I did the tape myself, and I'm sure I may have missed something here or there or double-counted something. I think my biggest buck's about 84 inches, um, which is, you know, a, a very respectable Florida whitetail. Um, and I have the number just – so I like I have a benchmark in my mind of what I'm going for next because I always try and shoot a bigger deer, um, but uh, it, it's not about that for me. You know, it's it's about that adventure that leads up to it. You know that that deer was on private land. It was my biggest to, to date, and if I shot a 60 inch on public, uh, it would rank probably outrank it. You know, for the amount of effort and the two years worth of learning curve here in Florida that I've had to to go through. You know. Yeah, yeah, I do. I know what you mean. That's a that's a great story. Yeah, yeah. So maybe maybe I'll have uh, another good one here as the ruts just starting to pick up. So I I, I got I'm, I'm I've been you've been you've been talking and you've obviously prepared for this. It doesn't help that you and I talked probably a little more than <laughs> the average guest prior to this. So you had a you know a, a good idea of what we were going to be talking about and. You know, we're coming coming up on, on, on 40 minutes, and I think it's a good time as any to ask you this. You ready? I'm ready, I guess. <laughs> it, it, have you? Let me ask you this. How often do you listen to the podcast? Uh, I have listened to a couple. Okay, cool, I, great. I'm, <clears throat> I'm going ha- to start listening to it more. I No, it's okay. I didn't ask for that, but I was asking because I think I'm going to actually stump you on this one. All righty. If you could go back to your earliest hunting self for Whitetail, and give yourself one piece, one singular piece of of advice that would change every day moving forward for the positive. What what one singular piece of advice would you give yourself? All right. So, I, and you know, I think it's a it's a great question, and I can't wait to answer it. But I have to say, and I, I'm all about giving credit to those you know that that before you or whatever. And quite honestly, the the big the biggest single piece of advice I could give mirrors what Dan Johnson said. I mean, I, I can't say it any better than what he said. Uh, Dan Johnson of the Nine Finger Chronicles said that he would go, if he could go back to his late teens, early 20s, whatever that time frame was, and spend less time in a bar, less money in a bar, girls, all this and that, and he could cross <laughs> those hunts off, those moose hunts, elk hunts, all this and that, I would do just that. But I, that's kind of the brief version. I'm also excited to if I had to do something else, then it would be um, don't get caught up in the fact that working hard and hunting hard is all about time in the tree. Because if I, knowing what I know now, going back, I would spend, and you hear everybody say it, but there's so much truth in it, I would spend half that time scouting, half the time hunting and half the time scouting. And I've done that over the last couple of years, and I've seen the results. Spend more time <laughs> scouting than what you hunt. What what impact do you think that would have? Why would that, why would that make a difference on on your decision making process when you're hunting? 
because it's going to get you into the deer, you know, I mean, um, I used to spend just inordinate amount, you know, I used to hunt so hard. I've always hunted hard. I've had a passion for it, but I would, I would hunt in the same tree or, you know, now I'm basically looking for fresh sign every single time I go in, unless I know I'm hunting a specific destination and I'll only do that once, twice, three times a year at the max. And, you know, so if I'm going in blind, then I'm truly going to look for the fresh, hot sign and scout it, right? So you can mm-hmm. scout your way into hunt or you can just, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with uh, spending that Saturday morning in October or whatever the time of the year is and, and just spend that whole morning scouting. And then, you know, you understand where the deer are, you understand the movements sure, and it enables you to, to hunt smart, not hard. I dig it. I dig it. Yeah, hunt smart, not hard. That I try and work smart, not hard. So it, it only makes sense that, that that would, you know, translate to deer hunting. I've never made that connection though. <laughs> well you yeah, you're right. We we frequently hear that in in the work world, in the professional yeah. world, right? And we have an kind of understand that a little more easier. But in the hunting world, it took me forever to learn that lesson. Yeah, no, it, that's that that's smart. You know, it's it's funny how many obvious things you ignore. When I was growing up, I I didn't necessarily have the best of deer hunter mentors. You know, my dad's mentality was, well, hang the stand because there's deer sign there. If you hunt it long enough, eventually something's going to walk out and you can kill it. Yeah, that and, and, sounds similar. Yeah, and and, and, it, and it does work. I mean, realistically, if you sit there long enough, a deer is going to walk out. At some point in time, and you are going to get a shot at it, you know, like that, that, that is true. Like, congratulations. But you know, he never even taught me to play the wind, you know, he, so like, I'd be sitting there with the wind in my back. I could think of several occasions where I had the wind in my back blowing the direction I wanted the deer to come from. And, and I never made any adjustment for that, you know? So I, I think uh, there's a lot of things that we can, we can overlook if we're not careful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree. You know, I was raised the same way while growing up hunting and that was, it was just all, you know, hunt hard, Yeah. Uh, more time on stand, you know, and the reality is, is once you understand that paradigm shift in your mind that, you know, uh, hunting hard doesn't mean hunting in the same tree or the same few trees every time, because when you realize that that actually helps them to pattern you and they're far better at it than we are, patterning them that's when the lights turn on right yeah yeah no that that's that's solid advice there so um let let me give you the opportunity do you have any closing thoughts or 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 pieces to saddle hunting that we've discussed that you'd like to to wrap up on your end uh well i mean since you asked uh just give it a shot you know that would be my advice to anybody And I think that, you know, a lot of times what we see, you know, we're engaged on the forums, of course. And, sure. You know, you see people uh, all the time asking questions about, you know, they're, they're uncomfortable and this and that. And uh, like I said earlier in the podcast, it takes a full season of saddle hunting to understand how to do it. You know, and, and what works in the late season is going to be different because you have a lot of, you know, a lot more layers of clothes on or whatever. Sure. So it, it truly does take a full season to learn the ins and the outs and get comfortable with saddle hunting. Sure. But if you if you fully commit to it, it will absolutely take your hunting to another level. Rock on, brother. Well, we have one last piece of, 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 of uh we have one last discussion piece here. We do. Um it is something I am super excited about. Um and I don't know if we could have put a better time. This is going to upload tonight, drop tomorrow morning. Uh, Greg made an announcement that that uh, registration might be shutting for this. So, Ted, why don't you tell everybody our exciting news? All right. So get your butts to Saddlepalooza. Get your butt <laughs> in a saddle. I can't say it any more simple than that. Uh, Saddlepalooza is the world's largest gathering of saddle hunters. It's kind of like a rendezvous, I guess. It's the way I envision it. I've not yet been to one, but I am going this year. Uh, I already have the travel arrangements confirmed, and I can't wait to get there. It's in uh, Fort Stewart, Georgia, which is in Savannah, Georgia, or just outside of. And 
it is President's Weekend, so it's uh, February 15th, 16th, 17th, I believe. Yep. Not sure the exact 18th, dates, I think, but, as well. Uh, which would be that Monday, yep. President's Day. So it's a three-day weekend already. Um, come down and talk saddle hunting, uh, experience saddle hunting. And, oh, by the way, you can go kill some pigs or slay some bass or whatever it is you want. But that Saddle Palooza is going to be the world's largest gathering of saddle hunters, and it's booking up fast. It's going to be camping and hanging out and cooking wild game and all kinds of good stuff. It doesn't get any better than the crowd that's going to be there, I can tell you that. Yeah, well, I'm going to be there. You're going to be there. Uh, some former guests of the podcast are going to be there. Taylor Chamberlain, the guy with uh, poopy britches, is going to be there. Uh, Andrew Walters from Wild Edge, Inc., <laughs> Um, did did you just catch that? Oh, I caught it. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh meet Parker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, uh, Parker McDonald, I believe, is going to be there. There's going to just there's going to be a lot of awesome people there. And if you're on the fence and you're and you can get to Saddle Palooza, you said it best. Get your butt in a saddle. Figure out if it's worth the investment. You and I already know the answer, but you know. It's a relatively free. I think the total cost of it is even with for a non-resident, it's a three-day hog hunting license. It's like a hundred and thirty-six bucks to hunt hogs uh, with with probably the, the the coolest group of hunters out there. I'm just gonna say that. Yeah, I'm not even worried about the hunting and hogs aspect. I'm I'm uh, I can't wait to have a good time with everybody and and you know I, I look at it as a a, a live forum of of the exchange of the best ideas in the hunting industry. Right. Yeah. The, the, the most creative guys for sure, because nobody gets into saddle hunting and does it like a, a, a standard way. I think that's one of the questions we get all the time is, Oh, what am I supposed to do with this? What am I supposed to do with that? It's like, bro, just do it. Just yeah. what, what, what do you, what do you want to do with your hands? You know, like <laughs> it's just that simple. Yeah. Tinker with it, toy with it. That's it. Figure it out and you'll have the best hunting system. Uh, on the market, in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. Well, got, well, dude, listen, I am thrilled that you had taken time out of your evening. Um, I would like to tell people that this will not be the last time that you're going to be on the podcast. Can, can we agree to that being the case? Count on it. Count on it. Awesome. So, yeah. And you know what? Let's do Hell. a podcast from Saddlepalooza. That, you just took the words out of my mouth. That's exactly where I was going with it, dude. Saddlepalooza podcast, you and me. Guys, if you enjoyed this podcast, I appreciate it. I appreciate you taking the time out of your evening to listen to this. And don't forget that if you want to see more of this contact, if you want to support this show, you can go to our Patreon account. It's www.patreon.com forward slash chasing tales outdoors. That money goes right into supporting this podcast and the upcoming adventures that we've got uh, coming your way. So thanks again for tuning in, and I will talk to you real shortly. search for the one they call king but who will take his throne tune in to waypoint tv's battle for silver saturday may 18th from 12 to 6 p.m eastern presented by abyss battery waypoint tv